there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is Catch and Shoot 2.0 once again. Fresh off episodes three and four of The Last Dance, I welcome in my main man, Otto Strong. And, you know, Otto, usually we kind of use this time to mess around and talk about what we did over the course of the last week. But we have a fun show. We have a lot where we're going to go into this documentary. But before we do all that, what was your reaction to episodes three and four? Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. I loved, uh, you know, it's like, like kind of walking back in a time machine to something. You know, I forgot about Carmen Electra. I forgot about how how bad the bad boys were. And it, it was it was uh, definitely uh, kind of a walk back. And uh, kind of it also made me appreciate the game that we have now so much more. I mean, not that I like, I like the physical play. I was a fan of the Knicks you know, the nineties Knicks, but, but um, just seeing all of that stuff just remind me that like, we, we have a, we have a damn good product right now Uh, and 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 I miss it. Yeah. You know, and and that's the amazing thing, just kind of the stark contrast between today's game and then kind of what we saw with that bad boys Pistons era. And, you know, for me, I'm 30 years old. And so the game of basketball has changed a lot in the time that I've been watching, but I can never remember watching videos like that Pistons team, just where they were grabbing guys. It almost seemed like sometimes people were taking rock bottoms in the middle of games. Like it was a lot of fun to watch. And you realize just, I don't, I don't know if tougher is the right word, but how much grittier the NBA was during that period. Uh, definitely a whole lot grittier. And it should be said that, uh, that while the, the Pistons were, were dishing it out, they were also taking it too. I mean, this was a, this was a two-way street. I mean, Isaiah would spend some time on his back, you know, blood dripping down his face, not terribly unlike what we saw with uh, the uh, the elbow that Pippen caught from Lambier. So, you know, so that was a two-way street. But um, yeah, it it, it, um, it definitely was it was a was a, a grown man's league, how shall we shall we say? Yeah, and you know, so. One of the amazing things I thought, and we can talk about Rodman and, and kind of how episode three really focused on how he fit in to that team and how he was such a driving force defensively that really kind of helped them get over the hump. But, you know, it, it also kind of set the stages. I, I think a lot of people had forgotten that Michael and that Bulls team almost had to earn their stripes, right? Like when you think of that Bulls dynasty and you think of Michael Jordan, a lot of people my age, and I'm going to say 30 and younger, probably just associate him with those six championships. They don't realize, you know, first year he didn't make the playoffs and then it took him four times against the Pistons to get to the finals. You know, he makes his first finals in 91, but, you know, lost to the Pistons in 88, 89, and 90. 
how nice was it to kind of have that backstory of how that Bulls team really had to fight and claw and earn their way to the finals? Well, hopefully it gives people a kind of a newfound appreciation for, I mean, yes, the six titles, six and zero in the finals, but uh, the path that they had to take to get there, it was, it was by no means a guarantee. And the, the, the team that, as we saw with episodes one and two, the team that MJ went to was, I mean, hell, it was like a, damn near minor league kind of yeah and, 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 you know, and we, talk, we talked we talked about that last week yeah. i had no recollection of the bulls being a poorly ran franchise you know i only think of the bulls as championship material in a big market never right. thought of them as a team that couldn't fill an arena well to, to quote hamilton you know who's going to write your story and i mean damn if they didn't flip the script and it, and and yeah now it's like oh the bulls were but you, know, you would think they were always great that they were always you know in, in in the finals to think about mj and the lore of united center and you know and now starting you know all of the all of the theatrics that, that, that went into what that team you know uh was and the way we look back on it it's just just amazing yeah uh, and well you know not to cut you off but you know another thing i was going to ask you is i didn't feel like they so they speak a lot about the Bulls and the Pistons rivalry and the playoffs in general and, you know, kind of how hard that was and how close the Bulls were before finally just running them out of the building in 91. But they never really hit on how that rivalry festered in the regular season, did they? No, I don't seem to recall that. I'm also thinking back at the time it was it. it um yeah, I don't really recall that. <laughs> yeah, which which was was weird because you know we were talking about it off air, but any time the Bulls and the Pistons essentially played, you knew that you were in for a fight, and that was the first thing you and our producer Scott Turkin both said was that those games were always going to be rough, and you would have thought that they would have showed some of the instances because you know even I was curious about it after the fact of I think it was episode four where they really focused on it just what some of the regular seasons were like. And, you know, there were instances on YouTube where you can see Michael either kind of throwing bows or Isaiah Thomas and him getting in a heated battle that you never really saw in the clips. Yeah. I, th I think part of it is, is, and I'm not, you know, certainly not nitpicking on, on how they, they put it together, but there's a, there's a lot of ground that they're attempting to cover here. They're, you know, trying to tell the story of the, that last season, but they're also trying to tell the story of what led up to it. They're also trying to tell, all of the, the the principal characters, players, and, and and other folks, and then kind of what the media saw and how, you know, what they saw then, and then and then going looking back and in a kind of retrospective way. So they're they're trying to accomplish a whole lot. So I'm not, I'm I would imagine they could probably do another ten hours uh, with, with content that they have on the cutting room floor. You know, which, you know, there is an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on the bad boys, which we will talk about later on in this show. But, you know, uh, so two other factors, and we have to be quick on this. The, the entire episode on Dennis Rodman, I thought, was so incredibly well done from not only his childhood, from his days with the Pistons, and then kind of that intermittent time with the, with the Spurs, and then kind of just him coming to a realization of who he was as a person and how that fit in with that Bulls team and how they all kind of worked together, I thought was very interesting and so well done. Well, he would look, he was the X factor. He, I mean, there's no other way to say it. He was the catalyst. He was the, 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 the guy who, I mean, yes, you know, Jordan was the best player and, and, and Pippen was, was number two, but, but he was the guy that made that whole thing work. And you saw what it was like when they didn't have him. And, 
you know, the lengths that uh, an MJ, best player of the GOAT, goes to bring Rodman back into the fold, it, I mean, that, that, was, that was just incredible. I, yeah, I don't and, yeah. and so to build off this, people forget how smart of a basketball player Dennis Rodman was and still is. You know, they have, there's two scenes that specifically stuck out to me. You know, there's the one where he's sitting on the, or, courtside with MJ and they're kind of going back and forth on defensive switches, you know, where they're just having a casual conversation, but you can really see the intelligence in Rodman and how he recognizes what he needs to do defensively, who he needs to pick up. And then there's the other instances where he's just talking about how rebounds kind of, or how the ball ricochets off the rim, right. For a rebound. And that I think for people, my generation is really lost on Rodman because we think of him more as his character and less of a basketball player. Well, I, I think people look at him at, today, look at him as, as an athletic freak and, and, you know, and that's, and that's where it ends. And, and what you get when, particularly with the scene where he's just talking to the camera is all of the things that are going off in his brain and how those synapses are firing at such a speed and such a rate that he is, he is a head. He's, he has rebounded the ball before, the rebound has even happened, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, he, is, he is ahead of you. Um, it's kind of like that scene in Limitless, <laughs> where where Bradley Cooper says, "I'm like ten steps ahead of you, man. You can't touch me." When he says to do De Niro at the end, but but that's that's what it kind of reminded me of, and it was just fascinating to watch. Yeah, it was, and you know all, all the intricacies, and you know the modern NBA, you almost wouldn't think twice, right? If if a team or if a player said, "Hey, I need time off for personal reasons," you know, I need. 48 to 72 hours of just me time during a six month stretch where then because of where that team was in that instance, it was such a big deal for him to ask for a weekend, which was amazing to me, but it was also very progressive of the bulls and that team. Yeah. The amazing thing about that whole series auto was, you know, Michael Jordan thought enough of Dennis Rodman to not only kind of hunt him down, but to make sure that he himself went and got him and then brought him back into practice it was just great TV. It was fun to watch, and I can't wait till Sunday. And you know what else? I can't wait till uh, we're gonna have Dion Kokoros on of NBA Entertainment. We're gonna talk to him about this Bull series, what it took to put it together, and kind of how hard it was to sit on some of that footage. Well, today we have the honor to uh, have Dion Kokoros with us. He is a senior vice president for content production for NBA Entertainment, and he is a producer with the Last Dance documentary. Dion, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing today? Doing okay. Uh, so, first question. Um, obviously, there's a lot of footage in this in this Last Dance documentary that is great. That goes back uh, a few you know a few years. So, how long have you been with the league, and what can you talk about? Uh, how can you talk about the, the footage that we uh, that we are enjoying? Well, I've been at the league since uh, 1991, so you know, right under 30 years, and you know, documenting the league's history and putting it into our archive is kind of been all of our missions at NBA Entertainment. Uh, the Last Dance particularly is a special project because we filmed so much of that footage that everybody is watching uh, eagerly every Sunday night back in 1998, uh, knowing heading into Michael Jordan, the Bulls' last run to a championship. So that footage in particular is has been sitting there and being in our archive for so long that I really think that's what's threading this story together and giving people like a real bird's eye view into what that last year was like with uh, Jordan and the Bulls. You know, Dion, Andy Thompson was such an integral 
member in putting this piece together? What was his role, not only in helping orchestrate this, but also those conversations with MJ and the Bulls? Because ultimately, you guys needed their permission to make this happen, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, Andy is the best in the business, simply, in terms of a documentarian, sports documentarian. You know, he had produced um, on the Dream Team back in 1992. He was with the team then. He formed a relationship with Michael, you know, when he was following that team uh, in 92. And heading into that last year, you know, it was his idea to say, you know, if this truly is going to be the Bulls' last run, you know, NBA Entertainment kind of owes it to the archive to document this this season. So, yes, he was able to have the spawn of an idea. And then Adam Silver, who was the president of NBA Entertainment at the time, you know, had a meeting with the Bulls' um, ownership and coaches and Andy and Michael and everybody kind of agreed that let's just roll the cameras and see what happens this year. And, you know, we shot it in film, which gives that cinematic theatrical look. But, you know, Andy was embedded with that team for that whole season. And um, he and his crew, you know, captured this stuff that now looking back on it 22 years later, is really amazing uh, that he had the idea and that he had the the time put in to spend with the team um, was kind of all on, on his plate. Yeah, and, and to be honest, you know, Otto and I have spent the last two weeks on this show really kind of just talking about how, how gripping it is and, and how compelling of television it is. But I, I can't imagine those conversations specifically with whether it was Michael Jordan or the Bulls were easy because when you think of Michael Jordan, you think of an image that is as polished as can be. And, you know, to really have the cameras on him and kind of the development of that last season – just how hard were those conversations and, and kind of how difficult was it to convince them to do this? Well, I think like any team, you know, this was all pre like hard knocks and pre reality TV and access back then was not something that was um, expected. It was, you know, it was not normal. So right. And through the lens of now what we see and teams are used to this kind of behind the scenes coverage of social media and digital media you know, back then it really was about relationships and, and it, it was a kind of a trial by error process. Andy was granted permission to kind of start documenting the team when they were in Paris for the McDonald's Open. But I think it was always kind of with the understanding that, you know, it would be kind of like a work in progress. And for him to last not only the whole preseason, but the regular season, the playoffs and through that six game series in the finals, you know, really is a testament to him and the crew you know, and, and the entertainment's mentality. I think we've always kind of had this, you know, mantra of like fly on the wall, you know, we'll be there, but we won't be seen or heard and you won't even notice we're around. And I think that was kind of the, the selling point was, you know, let us just start documenting and see where it goes. And, you know, all those months later, there we were at the last buzzer at the last game. And, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to capture it all. So, so walk us through what, where where was all this footage and, and what was the kind of what's happened in from from that time to to now um was it was this always in the works or how how did it come about that uh from that point to now yeah well the film was um it was actual 16 millimeter you know film so it was back in the day, days of like capturing on film which i think was a great decision made back then to give this like a theatrical feel and and it was kept pretty much on site in Secaucus on on spools of film and then one thing that this project allows us to do now in this digital age is it's all upgraded to HD quality so you're not only seeing Michael Jordan and the Bulls 
behind the scenes for the first time, you're seeing it at, at an HD quality. You know, back in those days, everything was shot on video, and you can see in the film when the difference between the stuff that was shot in our film versus the video back in the day. And um, I think that's what really makes it a special experience to view is that you're watching this stuff, you know, an equivalent of HD now that it's been transferred. So it's sat in the archive in our NBA entertainment archive for years. And, you know, when we decided to move ahead, we transferred it all. So you have this beautiful image now on, on HD. And I think that's what gives it such a special, you know, look and feel to the film. I've, yeah. I've got a, I've got an image of, of the, at the end of uh, Indiana Jones, that archive where they saw all the treasures, except it's the caucus. So I'm guessing it probably doesn't look like that, but that's, that's what I'm kind of picturing in my head. Right. You know, it's funny. One of, one of ESPN's first promos for this that came out a couple of Christmases ago was an actual archival library, like a, someone turning the wheel of one of those old film libraries and in there are some dusty cans of film. And that wasn't, you know, fiction like that's pretty much where this stuff stayed for for years so you're right it, it is kind of got like a, a historic feel to it you know like this urban legend that this stuff existed in our, our archive you know we were able to bring it to life uh 22 years later Deanna, I, I want to talk to you about the Bad Boys episode and a spe specifically, you know, the 30 for 30 that you were integral on. But but before I get to that, I have one more quick question on just kind of how this project all came together. You know, you guys have sat on this footage for, you know, 20 plus years. And what made this the right time to not only produce the films, but also uh, what made it the appropriate timing for it? Because certainly that was an integral piece of all this, too. Yeah, I think it was kind of a the perfect storm of everything coming together. You know, David Denenberg, who's our head of our business affairs, you know, made a, a deal with both ESPN and Netflix. So you have the, the linear side of things. You have the streaming service, um, you know, Jordan and the Bulls were, were ready to tell the story. So I think it was kind of like, a you know, the footage was always there. And then the last piece of it was, you know, hiring Jason Hare, who's a, an accomplished, you know, 30 for 30 director to kind of piece it all together. So it really was like a, a team effort of all these, you know, um, people and all these bodies coming together to bring this story to life. Uh, it, it took a couple of years in the making, you know, you just, just saying we're going to do it is one thing, but actually executing it and get all the film and to do all the interviews. Um, and I just think it comes at a perfect time, you know, obviously moving up the air date to coincide with everybody being home and dealing with, um, you know, quarantines and locked in their homes was definitely uh, the right move to bring this stuff out earlier. But, you know, even if it come out at the regular time in June, it was going to be, you know, a once in a lifetime look back at this legendary player and this team. So I just feel like, you know, 22 years later, it was time for people to see how great this player was, how great this team was. You know, there's a whole generation of kids and even players in, in our league that never saw Michael Jordan play. So I actually think the timing was perfect because it's really a time, you know, it's for, it's for the chance for the old heads to kind of look back and remember a generation that's gone by, but also the new, the new kids to see what this legend was all about, who their only connection to Jordan up until now was, you know, watching his highlights on YouTube. Yeah. You know, Dion, that, that's a great point. People do associate Jordan more now with just kind of this iconic championship figure. And, you know, one of the great things about this, this project has been, you had to see the trials and tribulations of him trying to get past that Detroit team. Uh, 
how much of an influence did Michael have on, on when this project came out? And, and, you know, was there any hesitancy to for him to allow this to come out after you guys had already shot all this? No, I think it was always just kind of like when, when the time was right, he'd be ready. And, you know, he sat down for, I think, nine hours worth of interviews with Jason, and he was totally unplugged and all in on, on the interviews. So that that's your biggest sense of when someone's ready to do something is when they sit down and rehash everything that you've filmed. So, um, you know, I think it was, it was the right time for him and, and his group to say, let's, let's show people what this team was all about. And, um, there's also great backstories from guys like Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman. So you're getting the full scope of, of what a 10 part series is all about because it's not just the 98 thread. It's all the characters around Michael that made, that made the team so great. <clears throat> And some of those characters were, of course, the the opposing team. And and uh, there's probably no greater foil than the than the Detroit Pistons, particularly the bad boy era. Uh, so could you talk about the the you know um, the undertaking of that documentary that you did uh, on on 30, the thirty for thirty on on the bad boys and just kind of compare the two, if you would? Yeah, well, the, the bad boys was a, a a great project to work on because they were kind of like sandwiched in between, you know the Celtics and Lakers and the Sixers of the 80s, the early 80s, mid 80s, and then the Bulls of the 90s. So at the time, you know, the, the Pistons were kind of sandwiched in there and, and our NBA Entertainment archive kind of started around that time. Like Chuck Daly was one of the first coaches to give NBA Entertainment access to locker rooms and buses and all that great stuff that was in that film. So Bad Boys was a great experience to kind of tell the story of this team in Detroit that kind of was forgotten in time, sandwiched in between these two iconic, you know, generations. And then obviously, yeah, they play a huge role in just the way everything, the torch was passed, you know, back in those days. You know, the story is pretty simple in terms of they had to win it from the Celtics and get that respect and get that Eastern Conference mantle. And then they held it for a couple of years and the Bulls kept getting knocked off. And finally the Bulls took it from them and then went on to greatness in the nineties. So they really are kind of like a linchpin in the whole thing. And obviously you can't tell the last dance story and Michael's story without the bad boys. So the last episode really got in, into detail on what he went through to get past the Pistons and the Jordan rules and a lot of the stuff that was in bad boys, but now it's being told through this, through the lens of the bulls. And that's another interesting part of it, Dion too, you know, one of the big parts about that story, not only between the Pistons and the Bulls, but obviously, and you spoke about it, the passing of the torch, whether it was from the Celtics to the Pistons and the way that they did it. And then there was a backstory of how the Pistons or the Celtics just kind of walked off the court. And then the Pistons kind of returned the favor against the Bulls. Tell us what that was like documenting that piece and having those conversations, whether it was with Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, or telling it in the Bad Boys doc too. Yeah, I think, you know, in the Bad Boys was the first time, you know, we had heard, you know, Isaiah had said that the Celtics had walked out on them. And I think a lot of people have that famous memory of uh, Mikhail and Isaiah kind of meeting at center court and Mikhail saying, go and beat L.A. And, you know, Isaiah's point and I think the Pistons point was that just how it was done back then. You know, they they kind of walked off before the buzzer was over and, you know, we returned the favor to the Bulls. You know, you know, I, I think that in this last documentary, Michael nailed it on the head and he said, yeah, but, um, you know, when we lost to them in, in 89 and 90, we shook their hands. So it is amazing. That there's so much swirling around, you know, the last couple seconds of games, but 
that really was the, you know, impetus for the rivalry to kind of go to another level when the Pistons walked off on the Bulls. And that was documented in Last Dance and also in Bad Boys. And it's amazing how, you know, you wake up on Monday morning after two hours worth of films and that's that's what everybody wants to talk about. So obviously those feelings still run deep, you know, 30 years later. Indiana, um, uh, as as a person who's worked with content for for you know twenty five years plus, I'm, I'm amazed at at uh, at what you, what you guys have and what you've been able to do, and and congrats and kudos to all of that. But I'm also kind of wondering. Um, so back in MJ's day, uh, players didn't have production companies and and studios and and outside uh, interest to the degree that they do now. And so what I'm wondering is, can something like this get done again? Can for the simple reason that you know. LeBron's got his his arm and and you know KD's working on his thing and, and I'm just wondering if you get your thoughts on on how uh, a project like you know could you do a project like this again? I think you can because you know NBA Entertainment you know we take pride in the fact that when players come into our league as rookies as first year players we start the ball rolling and documenting them and between our our slow motion phantom cameras our game action you know our access we get with the teams and the players we build a really robust library on these guys' careers. But there's no question, yeah, with social media and guys having their own companies and crews that, you know, they're in the business as well. So I think you can. I think it's probably just more of a collaboration that has to happen between everybody. When you're ready to tell these stories, you know, I always say that you need the interviews. You need people with really good memories and great anecdotes to bring that footage to life. And then I think whoever shot the footage can take care of itself. You know, I think that all these stories become richer when you wait a few years and you look back because I also find that people are a lot less inhibited a few years later to tell the stories of how stuff went down. So, yeah, I think this next generation of stars that we're capturing, you know, right now, they'll have their time and um, place for for similar projects uh, down the road. You know, Dion, that's a good point that, you know, I I can imagine – that after you guys had this footage in 98, there was a lot of urgency maybe to get it out. How difficult was it to sit on it, you know, and whether that's this project or any project that you work on, just holding on to something that, you know, you look at it now and it's valuable and it's tremendous to watch and it's so uh, exhilarating and it's been must-watch TV every single time, but just, you know, the process of not only getting that and getting the access, right. but then just wanting to sit on it to make sure that it's the absolute perfect moment to release it. How, how difficult was that for you guys? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Andy, to quote Andy, he's been saying a lot, like he was the one, it was his passion project. It was his, you know, time he spent with the team. And, you know, he always says that, like, I think it was the the documentary uh, when we were kings of, about Muhammad Ali. Um you know, they sat on that stuff for the fight for years. And when it came out, it was so amazing. So I think he always says, you know, he kept telling himself, this will be like, you know, the Alley film years later. The truth is, it is hard because you get asked about it in every meeting. You get asked every time you're talking content. Hey, what about the Michael Jordan Bulls film? But I think, you know, the answer was, you know, now's not the time for a bunch of different reasons. And you kind of move on to something else. And the beauty of our jobs is there's always another story to tell. So you kind of put it on the back burner, talk about something else, work on a few more projects. And then one day it's time. So it was hard to kind of keep it, you know, in, on the side, but by the same token, we kept ourselves plenty busy with other projects. And, um, you know, now 
here we are, and uh, we made it into 10 episodes, which I really think is a testament to the producers and Jason and everybody on the project, that it's not just a one-off. You know, we were able to stretch it to 10 episodes because the material is just that good. Yeah, and, and it's been unbelievable, the fact that there's still six more episodes right, to go. Right. And, you know, you just feel like every week you get something better and better. You know, but but to your point, you guys are historians. You are stewards of not only the league's narrative, but the league's history as well. And, you know, you can't mention Michael Jordan without thinking about Kobe Bryant. And so, you know, the, the easy question is, you know, to, to hold on to, to something like you guys did with Michael and to have it so eloquently put and the narrative be so good around it. Uh, are there few, are there plans for a Kobe series in the future, whether it's 10, 15, 20 years from now? Right now, you know, no, because we're just kind of coming up for air on, on, on this project, but safe to say that Kobe was incredibly well documented by NBA entertainment. His loss was immense this year. And um, we were able to mine the archive for some of the classic footage we have with him to pay tribute to him when he passed. And our, our archive is, is very deep when it comes to Kobe. Um, so I'm sure down the road, there'll be a project that we can do the right thing and tell his story right now. There's no plans because obviously we're just getting over the fact that he's tragically gone, but I'm sure someday we will uh, be looking at his archive the same way as Michael's and trying to figure out the best way to tell his story as well. Well, Dion, thank you so much for uh, for uh, being on and spending some time with us. Um, looking forward to whatever you guys put out, but but uh, <laughs> in the in the immediate, we are looking forward to episodes five and six this Sunday on ESPN and ESPN two. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time some time with us, guys. It's my pleasure. It was uh, a lot of fun, and uh, have a great rest of the day. That was dope. <laughs> Thanks once again to Dion Kokoros of NBA Entertainment. We are looking forward to every one of the upcoming episodes of The Last Dance on ESPN. Uh, thanks to our producer, Scott Turkin, and of course, Bruce Bernstein for all of their help and support. Uh, ben Wolfen, our man editing the show each week, and we appreciate his great work there as well. Hey, folks, we're still going through a lot here, but uh, Pure Hoops Media soldiers on. Our five weekly shows include Monday, Mike Wise Show, Tuesday, Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, Thursday, it's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. Friday, Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. And of course, on Wednesday, Aaron and I are back with a new edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. Lastly, please remember to pray for our brave healthcare workers and all other essential personnel for that matter. They're going through a lot trying to do their part to keep us safe. So let's help them by practicing social distancing, treating everyone with, a, with, with respect and as a cherished teammate, wash your hands as always and uh, new this week please do not ingest Lysol or Clorox uh, trust me on that one until next week peace Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media